My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 136, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, 1 Kings 12, 2 Chronicles 10 through 11, and Song of Solomon, chapter 1. 1 Kings 12. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, If today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer— They will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said. Come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people for this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebet, through Ahijah the Shilonite. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel. Look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. King Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor. But all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel had been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. When all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. When Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, he mustered all Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 able young men, to go to war against Israel and to regain the kingdom for Rehoboam, son of Solomon. But this word of God came to Shammai, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all Judah and Benjamin and the rest of the people, this is what the Lord says. 
Do not go up to fight against your brother, the Israelites. Go home, every one of you, for this is my doing. So they obeyed the word of the Lord and went home again as the Lord had ordered. Then Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. From there, he went out and built up Peniel. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the festival held in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. And at Bethel, he also installed priests and at the high places he had made. On the 15th day of the 8th month, a month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifices on the altar he had built at Bethel. So he instituted the festival for the Israelites and went up to the altar to make offerings. Second Chronicles 10 Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt, so they sent for Jeroboam. And he and all Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Come back to me in three days. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, If you would be kind to these people and please them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young man who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, What is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, Lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, The people have said to you, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said, Come back to me in three days. The king answered them harshly. Rejecting the advice of the elders, he followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy, I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from God to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebet, through Ahijah the Shilonite. When all Israel saw that Israel refused to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel, look after your own house, David. So all the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. King Rehoboam sent out Adinaram, who was in charge of forced labor, but the Israelites stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel had been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. 
When Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, he mustered Judah and Benjamin, 180,000 able young men, to go to war against Israel and to regain the kingdom of Rehoboam. But this word of the Lord came to Shammai, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all Israel and Judah and Benjamin, this is what the Lord says. Do not go up to fight against your fellow Israelites. Go home, every one of you, for this is my doing. So they obeyed the word of the Lord and turned back from marching against Jeroboam. Rehoboam lived in Jerusalem and built up towns for defense in Judah, Bethlehem, Atam, Tekoa, Bethjur, Soko, Dalam, Gath, Harashah, Ziph, Adorayim, Lashish, Azekah, Zorah, Elijalan, and Hebron. These were fortified cities in Judah and Benjamin. He strengthened their defenses and put commanders in them with supplies of food, olive oil, and wine. He put shields and spears in all the cities and made them very strong. So Judah and Benjamin were his. The priests and Levites from all their districts throughout Israel sided with them. The Levites even abandoned their pasture lands and property and came to Judah and Jerusalem because Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them as priests of the Lord. When he appointed his own priests for the high places and for the goat and calf idols he had made, those from every tribe of Israel who set their hearts on seeking the Lord, the God of Israel, followed the Levites to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. They strengthened the kingdom of Judah and supported Rehoboam, son of Solomon, three years, following the ways of David and Solomon during this time. Rehoboam married Mahalath, who was the daughter of David's son, Jeremoth, and of Abihail, the daughter of Jesse's son, Eliab. She bore him sons, Jeush, Shemarah, and Zaham. Then he married Makah, daughter of Absalom, who bore him Abijah, Atai, Zizah, and Shalamoth. Rehoboam loved Makah, daughter of Absalom, more than any of his other wives and concubines. In all, he had 18 wives and 60 concubines, 28 sons and 60 daughters. Rehoboam appointed Abijah, son of Makah, as crown prince among his brothers in order to make him king. He acted wisely, dispersing some of his sons throughout the districts of Judah and Benjamin and to all the fortified cities. He gave them abundant provisions and took many wives for them. Solomon's Song of Song, Chapter 1 Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. How right they are to adore you. Dark am I, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I had to neglect. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? If you do not know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My beloved to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of En Gedi. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. How handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant. 
The beams of our house are cedars, our rafters are firs. All right, so we are back to the story of Israel as a kingdom that was united under David and then Solomon, but now the story is going to turn, as we promised, as a result of Solomon's heart's change and failure to follow God. And don't worry, it, it may seem like deja vu because we read 1 Kings 12 and 2 Chronicles 10 through 11, and they really are telling a similar story and we'll kind of differentiate as we go. But it wasn't deja vu and it was on purpose. <laughs> they were two separate parts of the story, but really telling about the same narrative. We are now headed for a divided kingdom story, divided between themselves and largely pulling away from God. Yes, it is and will be a dark period in history. Remember, the transformation at Mount Sinai and then the Israelites falling out after the fact in the wilderness? Well, Jeff Cavins describes the next part of this story as that on steroids. If we look back in 1 Samuel 8, Israel asked for a king that looked like their neighbors, and God gave them Saul, a donkey herder who looked like the king they desired. Tall and handsome. Yet, if we look back further, we knew that this discussion of a king had happened before in Deuteronomy 17, 17. And even there, God is signaling to the prophet, to the people, that he will allow it if they maintain representative leadership under him. And they do not accumulate wives, horses, and gold. These were described as actions that will turn the heart away from God. In the end, Solomon had all of these things in great number. 666 talents of gold, 1,400 chariots, and 12,000 horses. Solomon was elevating alliances and a position of human power and defense over obedience, and his 1,000 wives and concubines collectively from foreign faiths turned his heart as the story goes. These alliances were turned into a civil war, particularly with the 10 tribes to the north who did not like how they had been treated by Solomon, King Solomon at the time, and now his son, King Rehoboam. Then the two tribes to the south, Judah and Benjamin, they're going to end up being led by King Rehoboam. The leader of the tribes of the north was or would become King Jeroboam. As we read here in 1 Kings chapter 12, before Solomon's son, Rehoboam, was made king, Jeroboam and the assembly of Israel from the north had a meeting with Rehoboam, asking him how he was going to lead. They said they would serve him, but they wanted the harsh labor and heavy yoke lightened, which King Solomon had put on them. Rehoboam asked for three days before giving his answer. First, Rehoboam went to the elders of his father, King Solomon, who advised him to be a servant to these people and serve them, and the result would be their service forever. Rehoboam didn't like this answer, which sort of makes it clear that he already knew he didn't want to answer favorably, but wanted confirmation. So he went to his group of friends that he thought would give him the answer he wanted to hear, his peers and those who served him. They gave him the answer he wanted, rejection and more harshness than his father, a reputation worthy of being feared and an image more noteworthy than his father before him seemed to be his pursuit. In 1 Kings 12 verse 15, it states that the king did not listen to the people and the situation was an event God had already told Jeroboam would happen. Then Jeff Cavins describes verse 16 as the fulcrum, the critical point in the story where the civil division begins. Israel becomes two nations, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. I know it might seem a little Game of Thronesy or War of Roses, 
but the division of the kingdoms is captured in the statement. What share do we have in David? And then look for our own house. Look to your own house, David. To your tents, Israel. So the north, the 10 tribes, because remember there's 12, the 10 tribes went home, but Rehoboam remained leader over Judah and also Benjamin in the south. So Rehoboam tried to send his forced labor manager to the north, but they stoned him to death. So this story describes it as Israel versus the house of David, because the tribe of Judah was where David came from. And Judah was, several stories ago, Jacob and Leah's son, and Jacob was Isaac's son, who is Abraham's son. Jeff Cavins describes how both were the people of God, but it seems confusing since there is civil war and they are described as the northern and southern kingdoms or the country of Israel to the north, led by Jeroboam and the capital in Samaria and the country to the south, Judah and Benjamin, led by Rehoboam with the capital Jerusalem. But as Jeff Cavins points out, if you look at a map, the north no longer has access to Jerusalem, the place of the temple. And both Father Mike Schmitz and Jeff Cavins point out how a synagogue is different from a temple. A synagogue can be a place of learning and worship, but the temple is where sacrifices and feasts were made. Since Jeroboam and the north are cut off from Jerusalem and under bad advice, because if you recall, Jeroboam didn't want his people going to Jerusalem or making any travels there because he was worried that they would turn on him. So they built a place of sacrifice with two golden calves, stating that these are the gods that delivered them out of Egypt. Wait, what? Doesn't this feel like part two of the Israelites? If you remember when Moses went up to speak to God on Mount Sinai and the people got tired of waiting, so they built a golden calf. But the Israelites did this before, but this seems more extensive. They make up an entire religion and system. So chaos and disorder are invited into the story. Yikes. In a large paint stroke, Jeff Cavins and Father Mike Schmitz describe how all the kings of Israel in the north will be adrift and corrupt as they have chosen to worship other gods, and many of the kings of the south, the family dynasty of David, will be bad, but there are also some good ones. Even though God continues to talk to the northern kingdom through prophets like Hosea, calling them back, by the end, spoiler alert, The 10 tribes of Israel in the north will not come back. They will disperse and completely be displaced, exiled, not to be refolded into the story again until the New Testament, specifically John chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman at the well. Do you remember that? Remember, the capital of the north was Samaria, and these people get mixed into many other ethno-religious groups and become known as the Samaritans. And the prophet Hosea tells the people of the north that God is their husband. They have been unfaithful. They will be exiled, but God will not forget them. He will come looking for them and offer them living water. Remember how Jesus offered the Samaritan woman living water at the well in John 4? It's just so cool. The fallen north are, and they will be offered, saving grace through Jesus with the covenant offering to the entire world and the gift, the call of the church. Yet, God is still faithful to the descendants of David, the kingdom of the south. They will also struggle and not stay faithful, even experience a period of exile themselves. But God will deliver his promise through this family. The divided kingdom continues from 1 Kings 12, verse 16, which we started today, all the way through 2 Kings chapter 16. 
But Jeff Cavins remind us to be careful to remember who the authors are going to be talking about because we are charged to be careful to pay attention to what we're reading is to the northern or the southern kingdom to understand more about who God is, what's happening, and how the story is unfolding. We're going to be reading about prophets who are speaking to specific groups of people in certain conditions and situations. Lastly, we will continue to read Chronicles, which is chronicling the king. So there's an overlap in the stories we've read. But as Jeff Cavins reminds us, the emphasis is on the South and not the North. It has a way of chronicling the good and positive things of David and his descendants. Jeff Cavins also points out the emphasis on God sharing himself his life with his people, and not God controlling the people. God meets us, atones, blesses us through our remembering, our Shema, which is our wholehearted obedience, and the practice of Shalom, which is God's law, order, ways, and peace. Can't wait for tomorrow. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.